Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest began teaching in a preschool with the dream of becoming an elementary school teacher. However, while completing her undergraduate degree, she decided to embark on a career in business and healthcare. I think we're going to start by asking her what caused that shift. She earned a Bachelor of Science degree in business and management, a graduate degree in management, and then she decided to get really serious and completed a Doctor of Education in Organizational Leadership. She's an adjunct professor at multiple universities and conducts training in communications, DEI, team building, leadership qualities, and self-esteem. She is currently a member on the advisory board for the University of California at Riverside for a transformational leadership program and serves as an executive leadership mentor. With nearly 20 years of experience developing and implementing DEI strategies, she has designed and delivered many adult programs over the years at Ratty Children's Hospital in San Diego, Scripps Medical Foundation, and several other nonprofit organizations. She's published many articles and keeps adding to her contributions in the areas of leadership, diversity, and belonging. She's passionate about creating cultural understanding, awareness, and sensitivity to help individuals be advocates for themselves and others. And she's currently working on a training guide for successful leadership titled Unveiling the Leader Within. Please welcome Dr. Michelle Knight. Hi, Dr. Michelle. Hello, Dr. Gary. How are you? I'm terrific. Look, I got to go right back to the beginning here. You know, preschool, elementary school teacher sounds great, but I guess you undergraduate degree, you decided to change that. Let's go back to your college days and tell me what caused that change. Absolutely. So I started off, I was one of those overachiever youth, you know, stacked up high school and college credits at the same time, went to a four-year college right outside of high school, graduated from high school, actually at University of Riverside. And so I was a certified preschool teacher in my senior year and got a lot of great exposure. I love, absolutely love children. And this is what happened. I got married young and I was 19, got married and had my first son at going on 22. So it was 21 going on 22. And that ended it. I said, I can't be taking care of little ones, you know, as a profession all day and then come home and work with little ones. Take care of little ones. (laughs) You know, it was just just too much. And 22 months later, I had my second son. And so it was just Mm. like, no, I, this is not good. So I wanted to give them my full attention. And also, unfortunately, we don't pay our educators what they're really worth. And so healthcare was a, a path forward to explore and continue to do what I love, which is really inspire people, right? And customer service training and all of those things became a possibility. Learned a lot about emotional intelligence and myself, but that's really what happened. I started my own family and said, I don't know if I want to be with little kids all day. All day. And yeah, that, that could be uh, that could be hard, <laughs> but you really shifted the, the way you wanted to go about living your life and building it. It sounded like having children early and you were going to school at the same time. 
and finishing up your degrees, Mm -hmm. you know, which a lot of us do. I mean, I got my master's and my doctorate while I was working. Mm -hmm. So you went down this path in the healthcare, but you got into a lot of different things. I mean, when I look at uh, communications, team building, leadership, uh, self-esteem, DE&I, and looking at your resume and the work you did at the uh, Children's Hospital and at Scripps, you were into a lot of different areas, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, I'll be, you know, this is our time and our space together. I'll be completely transparent with you. I always am. Uh, What happened is when I got into healthcare, I had such respect for the physicians and the clinicians and especially the work that they were doing with children. So I still work with children in the community as an executive coach, as a life coach. I still oftentimes have younger clients as well. So I'm still very much connected through that community and church and all of that. But what I was seeing when I was in healthcare was this there was a distance between what the physicians were doing. And I'm, 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 categorizing here, which I know we're going to talk about bias in just a moment also. So I'm making a, a, a peanut butter statement, right? The physicians. So, that so I make, was... <laughs> make the peanut butter statement and then help us understand as we're going to be talking about bias and DEI and everything, why, you know, why we do that as humans, right? We, yes, we yes. have to try to categorize things sometimes to make sense of it. So help, help us make sense and we'll, we'll yes. dig into that. Yeah. So I, I saw I had such a respect for the physicians that I was working with and, of course, my peers and, you know, different folks that were supporting. And I realized this bigger picture around team um, that the doctors, yes, they were amazing at what they do, gifted, uh, amazing, brilliant minds being coming up with cures for this or cures for that. And I would literally see the progression sometimes in the medical office building that I worked in with like um, a child that would come in one way in the first month. You know, they would come back mm. the next month their 60, 90, 30 day, whatever it was, whatever their schedule was. And I could literally see the improvement for some of these families. And so I was really Mm. impressed by that. Behind the scenes, however, because I was in HR and admin and, and understood, like I knew everything, but didn't know anything. You know, I was exposed to a lot. I knew that there were some ugly conversations happening behind closed doors where those same physicians that I was so excited to work with and so excited to be a part of the healing journey in my small piece, uh, they did not have a lot of, some of them did not have or show a lot of respect for the team Mm. members that were supporting them. They did not, uh, they were brilliant, but didn't know how to speak to people, didn't know how to, it, it was like only the patients got the best of them, but here we are supporting you. So I really dove deep into uh, Daniel Goldman's work around emotional intelligence. And that was one of the first customer service trainings that I developed when I was at Rady Children's Hospital. Well, Children's Hospital and then Mr. Rady donated a ton of uh, money for, to make sure that the mission in that community was really supported. So they changed the name to Rady's. So that's where it came from, Rady Children's Hospital. Mm. So I was there, um, shifted over to Scripps, and was seeing the same type of interaction where the physicians were amazing, brilliant minds, but our teams were suffering. Um, and and we, we just had this lack of like true leadership development that would help people feel like, here we go. Like they belong. Um, like you didn't have to be the smartest person in the room to get along, but really where kindness and, and concern and care, um, truly loving what you do means respecting the people that you do it with as well. And so that really is what propelled me into this world of what are the qualities of a leader? Um, is it, is it great to just be smart? 
Or is there something else that's that is more important or equally important to being sure that the organization as a whole is healthy and and having that mission, having that drive, understanding that if my values are in any way tampered with or not um, honored or respected in that environment, you're never going to get the best of me. So how do I inspire that as a leader? And so um that's that's well, so that's let's been yeah the let's journey. go back for a second mm-hmm. and look at you know when you when you started you were the observer right you're, mm-hmm. you're looking at this this interaction behind the scenes i i get this picture where the the doctors and nurses are out in front and they're talking to the patients and they're everybody's smiling and everything and then mm-hmm. the door closes and they go mm-hmm. behind the scenes and they start like disrespect what what the hell was that about you know i call yes. these brilliant idiots you know where they're they're just intellectually brilliant okay but in, in, in a lot of ways, it's unfortunate that they're idiots because they, 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 they're their own worst enemy. And I, I know that as I talk about this all the time, uh, I make good bosses into great leaders with compassion and accountability. I get rid of bad bosses by mm-hmm. making them good. Mm-hmm. They're not bad because they want to be bad. They're bad because no. nobody has ever taught them how to be good. Yes. How did you face that in that environment? Were you able to do anything early on or were you just <laughs> observing and learning? I mean, because like you said, I was an admin. You didn't have any power or position or anything. Were you able to do anything or were you just learning at that point? That's another thing that um, I, I think about. I think about wherever we are, no matter what seat you're in, which we're going to talk about a seat at the table also, but no matter what seat you're in, you really are a leader. You have influence. And so one of the ways that I was able to use my voice, find my voice in that in that type of setting um, was um, definitely observing and then asking questions around, do we offer customer service training here? Mm. <laughs> you know, um, how do we um, how do you think we should be engaging with one another? Do do we do we bring in outside speakers for like do a little retreat? Or I started asking questions and being more curious instead of critical, and mm. that's a challenge because I typically say typically say my judge is very strong, and um, or my gut is very strong, and so um, without criticizing or making anyone feel badly, it was almost like I was I was learning what I needed to learn in school outside of the organization and being courageous enough to say, hey, to my senior leaders or what have you, hey, I noticed this interaction. What can we do about this? I remember mm. um, having my director at the time put me, I was a receptionist. I started off as a receptionist and worked my way all the way up. Actually, I started as a file clerk. Let's go back there. I was in high school as a file clerk working for Mm. children's hospital at the time because my mom was in healthcare also. So I got the summer job and then they saw what I could do. I was babysitting the the kids, you know, the doctor's kids on their retreats. So they really trusted me. So I took this entry level position when my son was, was first born took this position. And I remember my um, director coming to me saying, hey, Michelle, I noticed that you have a good relationship with um, a particular co-worker. And this particular co-worker had been talked about, uh, talked to about many times around hygiene, around the office space that she was using was filthy. Okay. And so this was my first chance at leadership, if you will, of what I understood leadership to be. And to have this crucial conversation with the person who was old enough to be my parent. I was in my twenties at that time, uh, 20, 21, 22, old enough to be my parent. And this lady, my director either didn't have the skill set, was testing me. I don't know. It worked out for my good in the end, but wanted me to have a conversation about this person's hygiene. And I thought, wow, I'm not her boss. I'm, this is not, 
what, what do I say? What do I do? And I took the approach of empathy. Hey, I'm going to use the name, um, I'm going to use the name um, Barbara, just for the sake of pre- preserving the innocence here, innocent here. Hey, Barbara, do you right. have everything that you need? Literally coming to her woman to woman, human to human, you know, do you have everything that you need? What do you mean? I said, well, sometimes I've noticed um, that, um, you know, there's, there's, you have an odor, you know, and I, and I said, so I'm wondering if you have deodorant or body wash or what do you need? Literally broke down in tears. She literally wow. broke down in tears, D- had no idea she was going through divorce, had no idea that her kids and her were might have might be put out. And so she just wasn't practicing the self-care. And I don't even think she knew what that meant. I don't think any of us really know what that means. That's a whole nother podcast. But what does that really mean? And she did not have everything that she needed. But coming to her again, curious instead of critical was the way, because what I had seen modeled with our doctors was the trickle down from the doctors to the nurses and how that perpetuated um, tension, anxiety in the workplace and all of those types of things, simply because we weren't having conversations. Yeah. We were being told what to do. It was dogmatic. You you had to respect this person. And it's just, it just created a lot of tension in the organization, especially. Not only that, but level. I find it fascinating that, that uh, somebody came to you. Yes. Because so, you know, we, we, our definition of leadership, let's look at this. Let's break this down for a okay. second. The ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassionate accountability. Mm. So the first step is building relationships. Now, mm-hmm. part of it is not taking accountability. The leader that talked to you, the manager, whoever was talked to you, um, did something at least that was fairly brilliant because they realized that you had the best relationship with this woman yes. and could probably converse with them in a way that would be more caring and empathetic, like you said. Mm-hmm. And that's where leadership starts. That's where it starts. It doesn't mm-hmm. start with accountability. It doesn't mm-hmm. start with compassion. It doesn't start with power. It, doesn't, it starts with building the relationship, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I find it fascinating that they, uh, well, no other way of saying it. They dumped that one on you, Dr. Michelle. <laughs> you, know, they, <laughs> you know what? And I'm grateful for the dump. Thank you. <laughs> and a, you learned from it, right? Because I did. I, I love though, uh, this is really, let's, I want to dig into this because you, you made, you made a statement that I think is, is at the core of the rest of everything we want to talk about. Be curious, not critical. Mm-hmm. To be curious, not critical. And we were talking before, and we talk about this this whole topic of uh, DEI. And uh, quite frankly, um, recently I was reading uh, Brene Brown's book um, and uh, Atlas of the Heart, and in that okay. she talks about belonging. Mm-hmm. And I just love this concept of belonging along with DEI because it 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 to me encapsulates everything. That, that we want people to feel in an organization or feel like they belong, right? Yes. And when people don't feel that they belong, if we were just a little curious about how they're feeling, what's going on, and I've said this so many times, Michelle, on my podcast, 85% of all performance problems at work are because of things outside of work. Mm-hmm. Okay? Just like you said with this woman, it wasn't a problem at work. Mm -mm. It was because she was going through a divorce. She was not really aware. She was an emotional basket case Mm -hmm. and probably just trying to survive through day after day after day. Absolutely. And and by you just being curious and asking the question, it helped open her up. Now, Mm -hmm. when when we when we talk, let's let's expand that a little bit. That's a great Mm -hmm. example of just not knowing what somebody is going through. Mm 
when we talk about humans in mm-hmm. this world, just mm-hmm. human beings that are so diverse, I find them fascinating. Okay? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that's why I do this podcast, because I get to meet wonderful people like yourself. It's yeah. fascinating. And yet we have these biases. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, growing up when I when I was in the military, we talked about this. We called them prejudices. And people get yes. defensive when we talk about prejudices, right? Sure. I'm not prejudiced. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. not, I don't discriminate. I'm not prejudiced. But you and I were talking about this before, and I love this idea of bias. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, first of all, psychologically, why is that so powerful in the conversation? Yes. Versus talking about diversity and, and equity and all of these other things that people label in a way. But if we say, look, let's treat each other with respect and, and not have biases. Let's start mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Well, in truth, uh, Dr. Gary, everyone has bias, right? Um, we, mm. we all we all have a bias. Bias is simply a preference. It's a type And this is what you and I were talking about, the type. So um, you have a type. I have a type. You know, we talked about those those uh, relationship pieces like and we can see it through the lens of, you know, I prefer I'm five, two, but I wear heels all the time. Okay, I don't want to be tall. I just like to look a certain way. Okay, but my husband, my type is tall. My, my preference for my spouse, right? He's six, four, six, three and a half, uh, six, three. He's over 200 pounds. Nice stocky guy because, you know, I, I like a thickness. He's your type. You know, I like, he's my yeah. type. Your type is yeah. your type. And that's what bias ultimately is. And when we're in, mm. when we're with people that um, are, are a part of or it, they are our type, meaning we're comfortable with them. There's no anxiety. We're in our comfort zone. I can have a conversation, you know, with the best of them if these people are my type. And it doesn't mean that all of them are going to be black or all of them are going to be white, but I definitely have a type. And typically our type is what we see. So that's where the word prejudice comes in, why people associate that to racism versus just a bias being a form of an entry point, if you will, into that bigger word of prejudice. So if we just think about having bias as our type, we talked also about, I like ketchup, but I do not eat fresh tomato. That's a preference. That's a bias. That, that That's what, would we dumb it down to that basic level of I'm looking at someone who may not be my type and I'm making a judgment about that person based on them not being my type. I guarantee you, if you had a conversation with them, you would find you had much more in common than you do difference just by having a conversation. But you just, you just said something that is a real key to this because the mm-hmm. first part around bias and prejudice is being aware. Yes. Okay? That awareness. And through that awareness. Okay, through that awareness, the idea here is in that awareness is being aware of the of the um, the prejudice or the bias. Once I'm aware of the bias, I can then not let the bias determine what I do, how I act or how I think. Yes. Okay. or I make a choice that says I'm going to let this drive me like, for instance, You don't want to eat, you don't want to eat tomatoes, but you're going to eat ketchup. That's, that's, that's your type. That's great. Mm-hmm. You want to, you know, a husband who's over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to be good for you. I'm five foot six. So you're going to brush me off. You, know? I mean, you, might, <laughs> but, you might be okay, Gary. <laughs> I, I might be okay. <laughs> but, but the, the idea is that we, 
that that's important is, and, and you said we all have these. We all we have all these have biases it. and prejudices. It's having a bias is not a bad thing. It's not not being aware and letting the bias drive decisions that we yes. make, especially about other human beings. That's yes. when we have a problem. The Absolutely. the lack of awareness of just making a decision based on what I see and that's it. And here's the thing. Um, Dealing with that, becoming aware of your bias takes work. There's a level of vulnerability. There are, are patterns that we have. If I, When I trace my own life back, I've, I've been married, divorced, married, divorced, married forever. Because <laughs> I'm not doing this again. Right. <laughs> right? right. I had my bias, my type mm. drove a lot of the decisions that I made in the beginning. And those decisions early on influenced my decision now. The decision that I made now is completely different. It's completely different because I became aware, self-aware, emotionally aware, mentally aware, relationship. I grew. I learned from those mistakes of just going to a type versus dealing with why that was my type. Why was that my type? Yeah, so you 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 went to your type because of certain physical and and cer- certain yes. ex- uh, uh, things that you could see on the outside, yes. right? Yes. And and now, as you know, as we get older, we start looking at character and yes. what people stand for, what their values are, and and you know, when we're younger, we we don't know that stuff. We just we're, no, we're, I didn't know we're it about still me. Learning. Right. I didn't no, know about no. myself. And so I had to do the work to be vulnerable, to be open, to get up, to find a mentor um, that would tell me the truth. Right. Um, because leadership yeah. is about that candid. It's the rapport for sure. But it's about that uh, it, uh, that candid conversation of what do you see in me that I don't see myself? Right. How do mm-hmm. I come across? I may think I'm the most wonderful person in the world. I am. I really am. However, that I may not be everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. I have to be okay with that. I have to know me well enough to know how am I interacting with other people? How am I showing up? How is my bias or preference turning some people off and inviting maybe some negativity that I I didn't even think was possible? We have to get vulnerable with ourselves and explore why these biases are the way that they are. And are they driving us? Are we learning from those decisions that we made based on those things? And then how do we move forward? How do we perpetuate a better me going forward with this knowledge? So what do, what do you do? You go into an organization and, and you want to work on DEI and, and belonging and bias. How do you how do you go into an organization and get started with this? So you've got a new leadership team, you know, maybe they're running a 50 or $100 million company and they go, you know, this, this DEI stuff, we really want to do something with it. We really want to make a difference, but we don't know what to do. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of companies out there. They don't have a clue as to how to address this, how to, you know, and it, and I don't think, look, I I don't think this is just a fad. No. Okay. This is changing our cultures. This is changing the way we're seeing each other and seeing life. This is not a fad. This is here to stay. And I'm, I'm excited about it. Started with it back in Procter and Gamble. Actually, did a workshop in the army in the seventies mm-hmm. on prejudice and uh, discrimination. Yeah. Okay. And uh, when the EEOC laws were coming out and all this stuff, so they were very early on. And of course, I didn't know what I was doing. So, what do you? Wh- how do you get started with an organization? If you were going to come and work with my organization, what would you? What would you do with us? Well, that's a great question. I want to go back to you said this DE&I stuff and I chuckled because that's what most people think. 
It's this DEI. Mm. What does that even mean? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, we have a diverse workforce. We're all white men. Uh, yeah, that's about it, right? No, <laughs> right. there is no diversity. There's no diversity at the top. So first, it's looking around the table, right? And and looking and saying, okay, who do I have here? What voices are missing? Um, and those are the types of conversations that I have with leaders like yourself who, who would invite me to come in. Um, what is it? What? Why are you doing this? So I get real. Why is this important to you? If it's just to check a box, I'm not the person for that because I, I care too much about the impact and the influence that people have. And if people, if leaders think that DE&I work is a check in the box, um, no change is really happening because there's no accountability to now we're going into meritocracy. You know, you came up with the box. You came up with what would be the check mark in that and didn't consider the impact to the entire organization. The other thing that I think is really important is that um, leaders who are at the top of the organization, which are typically your white male um, over 50, 60 years old running this company, they don't know what my experience is as a black woman. There's no way for them to know. Even if they were married, I'm married to a white man. My husband had no idea what I was going through. He just didn't have the same experience until he experienced some things with me that made him understand, wow, life really is different for some people. It really is different. And while that may not be his cross to bear, he's not the one causing any of these things. His awareness around it is equally important because that leadership awareness, looking at someone in your organization that may not be at the same level as you and not hearing their voice or cutting them off or silencing them is equally detrimental as the person who outright says, I hate Black people. I hate Jews. I hate Mexicans. I hate... It's the same effect, effect psychologically and emotionally. So I, one of my jobs is to get the leader to understand you don't understand what the experiences are of your people. Um, there's a, a, Tyler, a Tyler Perry has a movie called, um, I think it's called Good Deeds or Mr. Deeds or something, uh, Good, Good Deeds. And the woman that is working in his company, he's this Fortune you know, 500 company, um, black owned, all of this. And he has this worker, um, a, a housekeeper, if you're not a housekeeper, um, cleaning person at the company. And uh, they start having these interactions and he realizes that, I'm, long story short, she's into being homeless and staying at the um, the company that she's working and she has her, her child with her. And mm. he, that blew his mind. It was so far removed. He was so regimented and so into his own world. He had no idea the world that was going on around him. One question, one question changed his whole perspective about her situation. He said, she asked him, how much is a gallon of milk? How much is a gallon right. of milk? He couldn't answer that question because he's been so far removed from having to budget for milk, for instance. Right. So there's just this huge gap and this disparity between what our senior leaders in our organization, CEOs, C-suite are going through versus what I was going through as a receptionist. That world seems so far removed. There's no way for me to connect Unless we have conversation, if the leader is scared to have conversation, real conversation to say, how are you? How was your morning? Be a tangible leader. Get out of their comfort zone. 
then the organization is destined to fail. So these are the types of conversations that I have to help leaders realize you have the power to control what is happening, the growth and everything within your organization by what? A model that I um, that I developed is called All In, acknowledging the individual, listening, listening. That is a skill that can be developed. A lot of people, we don't listen. We listen. We only listen to hear what we're going to say back, right? To see how we're going to respond. But truly listening, being present. The other L is letting go of judgment. I, I, if, if I see you, Dr. Gary, and you're, you're not necessarily my type, there's a wall that goes up slowly but surely that keeps me from connecting with, I have to let go of judgment. You're not every white man in my life. You're not, you're not my husband. You're not my dad. You, you, you are you. And honoring who you are means I have to let go of judgment of you and let go of judgment of myself Why I'm even thinking of this. So before you go on, I, I want to make yes. a point of this because yes. the judgment and, and we do it so quickly. It's just, yes. it happens so quickly and most people don't even realize they're doing it. And um, I, my biases pop into my head when I'm walking down the street. I mean, it'll, it'll pop in my head. I'll see somebody and uh, it might be uh, somebody who's really overweight and I'll, I'll make a, a judgment mm-hmm. about that person yeah. and their health. You know, I know nothing about them, nothing, nothing about them, but mm-hmm. it's popping in my head and I go, stop it. Just stop Mm -hmm. stop that thought, you know, and it's because of, of, of habit and conditioning over decades. Yes. And, um, but the awareness and recognizing it in the moment is, is, is really important so that having the judgment is going to occur. We're we're human beings fill in blanks, no matter what we're going to fill them in. They're the same as bias. Bias It's the same thing. We have it. Right. The judgment is actually holding back the potential of the relationship, the potential of the possibilities that are presented mm-hmm. in front of us. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't even recognize the fact that that judgment in and of itself is eliminating the possibilities. But I was going to say, just like bias is not inherently bad, judgment is not bad. Judgment keeps us safe. That's what judgment is. Yeah. It keeps us safe. If I'm walking down an alley and I notice that there's this black shadow, dark shadow, right? I'm leaving a concert. I see this dark shadow. Something inside of me, judgment says, hmm, what is that? That doesn't look safe. That doesn't feel yeah. right. You hear a click, like, you know, something like that. Okay, now I'm going the other <laughs> direction. You know? Now I'm running. Yeah. Because yeah. my judgment tells me that my judgment tells me that even though that person doesn't know me, I don't go into that mode and go, well, I I don't know that person. He doesn't know me. Why should I be scared? No. Judgment tells me that's a dark alley. I can't see who that is. I heard a click. I need to go the opposite Mm. way. So judgment keeps us safe and judgment when it comes to what we're talking about here with DE and I work does the same thing. So we have to be in that state of self-awareness where I have to recognize that I'm judging right now. I have to recognize that I'm making, um, I'm telling myself a story about who this person is or is not. And I haven't even engaged in a conversation. It has to be intentional conversation. And in terms of never, in terms of this not being a fad or a check in the box, we can never stop trying. We can never stop trying to be more aware, to identify and overcome our biases and to deal with those judgments that are not serving us. They're actually harming mm-hmm. us. So you were, you were uh, talking about your model. Okay. All in. And, and you got, uh, you talked to acknowledge, listen, and uh, let go of judgment. What, uh, what's the I stand for? Oh, intentional conversation. So I, I kind of slid that in there right there. Intentional conversation and then never stop, never stop trying, never, never stop being on this journey 
to explore self, to explore others, because that's what it is. It's not a sprint. You're an athlete. You know, conditioning takes time. Right. You don't just wake up in the morning yeah. and go, I'm a runner, you know, 100 mile marathon. No, you're not doing that. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't work like that. So just as conditioning works opposite, it works positive. Yeah, this simple model, uh, all in, it, it, it gives people something to think about. In, in first of all, just recognizing, acknowledging others. When I talk about listening, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, add one thing to that. When I say I want you to listen without adding anything to the conversation, mm-hmm. and people are like, well, what do you mean? I said you can't respond. You can ask a question, okay, but you, I don't. To truly listen at the highest level, you listen without adding anything to the conversation. And you said it earlier. Most of us are listening to respond. Mm-hmm. You know, so we got to work on that skill, right? Mm-hmm. Let go of judgment. Uh, in, intentional what well, the eye was intentional intentional conversation meaning conversations liter- yeah. yes literally asking how you're, do- you're you know this is <laughs> this is sociology number you know 101 you're walking in oh, how you doing oh great keep going right you're not really right that that's not intentional because the person probably really isn't great and so this is where some organizations go but i don't want to know about the interworkings of all this stuff going on with my people i said you don't you're telling them to leave that stuff at the door and this is what's keeping that you don't know what's on their mind that's keeping them from producing you money at the end of the day Hmm. Let's talk about that. Well, that's what Michelle, that's when I said 85% of all performances problems at work are because of things outside of work. What do you mean you don't want to know? Now they don't have to tell you. I used to tell people when I was in leadership positions, you don't have to tell me what's going on in your personal life. Mm -hmm. That's up to you. However, if you don't give me some basis of understanding what's going on in your life, the only thing I can do is judge you on your performance. Yep. I'm going to determine your performance. And if your performance isn't up to date, then I'm going to have to put you on a performance uh, review. I'm going to have to put you on a a performance improvement plan. And eventually we'll see what other disciplines necessary. I've got to go back. Oh, Oh, you're going through a divorce. You're having some emotional problems. You're seeing a therapist. Holy crap. I didn't know you were having those problems. Listen, is there anything that we can do to take a little responsibility off to help you kind of get your legs under you again? Because I've been there. I've gone through this and it is really, really hard. And you are an important part of this organization. So let's see if we can do something to help you. And it's looking at it through that lens versus still a lens of judgment. Well, I mean, they must be they must be acting like this at home. That's why they're going through a divorce. It's, it's literally, literally, we're, we're not asking you to solve the problem, but the awareness around what people are going through and knowing how much a gallon of milk is versus not is is who are those are your workers. Those are the people that are in your workforce dealing with life on life's terms. And so and we all are just sometimes again, we're far removed from that, or we don't, we no longer have children at home. So, you know, we're living our best life right before retirement, whatever it is, whatever it is, the ability to connect human beings are wired to connect. So to not connect and to be isolated or live on an Island or not be concerned about my brother or my sister, not based on race, not based on gender, not based on anything else, just as a human being going through the same things that are common to all human beings. Yeah. That's where I want, that's what I become passionate about to help leaders, especially business owners, entrepreneurs get really clear on. You got to be clear on that. 
Yeah, they can create that sense of belonging. They can create a sanctuary for their employees if they really want to. A sanctuary of trust, a sanctuary of care, a sanctuary of compassion. But also, like we say with our children, it's tough love, compassionate accountability. It's the balance of the two. You don't just get to do whatever you want. That's not the point here. You've got a role to play here. You've got work to do. Yes. And we're going to all work together to try to make it as joyful and happy as possible. And there's going to be times when it's going to be hard. So And that's that's not to say no accountability. That actually increases accountability. When I know what someone is going through and I I can support them or help them not use that as a victim mentality or as an excuse, that's a lot of what I do in my coaching practice is, yes, this thing happened to you. It happened to you, but there is life after devastation. There is life after whatever that hardship is. It's not to say it's an easy way to get there. It's to acknowledge that look at how far you've come, even carrying all of this. What would be better if, what would be possible if you didn't hold on to that? Yeah, That's what we're doing. Yeah. That's what we're doing. We're learning from the past. We're present and in the moment, and we are looking forward to creating a positive, more a greater sense of belonging and connection at a deeper level where people actually are sad that they have to retire, you know, because they're making such an impact, you know, who's sad about retiring right now? No one that I know of. They're like, Oh, I I don't have to answer to that person anymore. No, we want to perpetuate things that are positive, that are true, where people can continue to make an impact even beyond their years, creating legacy. That's what I teach. So anyway. Yeah. So let's wrap this up with my final question. Then I'm going to tell you what the name of the podcast is going to be because usually Ah. I try to pull it out. Yes. Okay. So if you were to write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself 20 or 25 years ago. Oh, gosh. And you said, dear Michelle, Mm -hmm. what would you tell Michelle? 25 years ago? Yeah. Or 20 years ago? Mm. That is a great question. Maybe 15. I mean, you're a young woman, so, you know, I don't... Well, uh, I mean... What, what would you tell your younger self? What would you tell that 22-year-old? Yes, that's that where I was going. And, yeah. yeah. I would, would tell her, I would say, dear... I would say Shell, because my family calls me Shelly, so I would call myself by my family and Shell. Say, dear Shell, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. Everything that you've gone through up until this point, and I'm going to throw in my, I'm going to write this letter to my 25-year-old self, because by then I had both of my sons who are now 20 and 18, soon to be 21. And, and you know, I would say, um, how does this 20-year-old have a 20-year-old? But yeah, I'm not 20. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just have good genes. There you, there you go. <laughs> no, but I would say it's going to be worth yeah, it. Yeah, I like you know? that. It's going to be worth Keep it. Keep pushing forward. It's going to be worth it. Yeah. You are your greatest advocate. And your greatest villain. Yeah, that's... And it's all going to be worth it. Well, Dr. Michelle Knight, thank you very much. As I told you, I think I have several options for the title of the podcast, right? Okay. We didn't even talk a lot about this, but having a seat at the table was an option. Being curious, not critical. Mm. But my favorite was really, how much is a gallon of milk? Yes. I think that's the title, is we're going to ask people, how much is a gallon of milk? Let's be aware of the things that we don't know and ask the questions to help us become more aware. Oh, I love it. I love it. So I love it. Thank you so much for being my guest. I know that we're going to be doing some other work in the future. I know that for a fact with our group and I look forward to that and look forward to future conversations. Dr. Michelle Knight, thank you for being our guest today. 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Dr. Gary. Looking forward to it. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.